Welcome to Radio TFS, episode 92. This is Greg Duncan, and I'm flying solo today. Well, actually, not solo. I've got a great co-pilot today. But before I talk about her, I'm going to really screw up this introduction. No, obviously <laughs> not. Um, she is a name. If you've been in the space for any length of time, you've seen her. If you've gone to the MVP summits and gone to the MVP to MVP days, you've seen her speak. She has been around in the ALM community for a while, and I, I am, we are really excited. We, as in the royal we, are excited to have her here today. Now, let me do the real intro here. Angela Dugan is an ALM practice manager for Polaris Solutions, a small technology consulting firm based out of Chicago and St. Louis. She's been in the software development, in the software development. She's been in software development since 1999, including five years as an ALM tools evangelist with Microsoft, which I want to talk to you about, Angela. I want to talk about what it's like to be in Microsoft and then leave. But we'll go back. Let's go back to the intro. Angela also runs the Chicago Visual Studio ALM user group, is an active organizer, speaker at several local conferences, and is a Microsoft ALM MVP, is a certified scrum master and safe program consultant. Outside of wrangling TFS, Angela is an avid board gamer, an aspiring runner, and a Twitter addict. She lives in a 1910 house in Oak Park, Illinois, and is constantly working on cursing at her husband, David. For more information about Angela, you can go to her website, www.tfswhisperer.com, or via Twitter, at Oak Park Girl. So, welcome aboard, or, or thank you for joining us, Angela. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I should add a point of clarification because the last part of that intro, I'm probably going to get get crap from my husband. So, <laughs> so we are always working on and cursing at the house together. It, it almost sounded like you said I was working on and cursing at him, which is absolutely not what's happening. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny. I, I actually maybe I'm not living somebody you know projecting onto other people. What happens to me at all? Uh, constantly working on and cursing at. With her husband, yep. David. Sorry, David. <laughs> I, I know she's really not cursing at you. No. Um, good cover. Angela. <laughs> <laughs> so um, first what I want to do, um, we're going to talk about Angela, about some of the things that she's been uh, uh, doing and some discussion points. But we do want to hit some of the, the hot news for the week. Part of the, I think the biggest news, and I really want to get your uh, feedback on this, is they released Team Foundation Server 2020. 2015 RC2. And what else did they do as part of that release? What else did they say, Angela? So uh, one of the important things they did say was that while Visual Studio and the IDE tools are coming out on July 20th, they're actually going to be pushing back the date of when they released TFS 2015 RTM. So that was kind of the big news in that, that Brian Harry blog post. I don't know if everyone who's listening has had a chance to read that yet. They kind of actually hid that because, you know, I didn't see that. I, I saw the post. I was like, cool, RC2 is a little bit early or, you know, getting close to the RTM for that. And then I started seeing some of the chatter that they pushed back um, TFS 2015. I'm going, what? Yeah, what? same thing happened to me. Like, I, you know, I had sent out a couple of tweets about like, oh, hey, did you hear it's coming out on the 20th? And then I read it again <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, he actually said they're pushing back TFS. And, you know, I got to say at first I was a little disappointed because, you know, we're all excited about it. But then when you really go back and kind of reread that post, I mean, I, I've always thought that that team was was pretty awesome. And I, of course, I'm a little biased because I used to work at Microsoft <laughs> on, you know, the evangelism team for that stuff. But um, I just think his transparency is great. You know, we just kind of put it out there and said, hey, listen, I don't think this is the best product we could release. And so I'm holding it back a little bit. And I, I honestly think that's a 
pretty awesome way to 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 do it. He is scary and how kind of transparent he is. I love his posts about, yeah, we kind of screwed up this release and and here are all the details on how we screwed up, but how we're going to learn for the next time. And um, what I love is is the back chatter on how, like you, everybody is saying, you know, they're pushing back the date for this and it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, especially because they've, they've always had a really, really kind of open way of sharing things and not only saying, hey, it's, it's, it's not ready for prime time, like, you know, quote unquote RTM, but there's a release candidate out there and they encourage you to use it. I've, I've been on it since, a, you know, I've been kind of dog fooding the bits for a little while now as an MVP, but they're really supportive, right? If you run into issues, they will absolutely help get you through them. So that's what I've always really appreciated about them that, you know, they, they encourage you to use stuff early, but they, they also put themselves on the hook to support it. Uh, Angela, we're both, you and I are, and are on the ALM champs mailing list. And um, I have to agree with you. You know, I, 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 since this was my first year as an MVP, the level of support, I've seen it kind of before in how he, his public face, but the behind the scenes face is, is even scarier on how responsive the, the team is, you know, and, and Brian is there. He's actually, you know, looking at these emails and this thread is fairly active. I wouldn't say quite fire hose, but, you know, pretty, pretty close to that. And, uh, yeah, it, he, he's like reading all of these things, forwarding them on to the appropriate people inside, uh, you know, getting on the phone for, for people who are having their early problems and, you know, working through the issues. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I wish I were using TFS more, but we won't go into my whole Jira. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, gotten too much feedback from people. It's not Radio Jira. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm gonna. We're gonna talk to you. That's one of our discussion points for uh, in a little bit about what the cool things that you're seeing here in TFS 2015. But the next thing is we do. You know, every so every, especially since we've been on a greater cadence, the the VSO team did a new release. They're still on a hot release cycle, which kind of is pretty awesome. Actually, the fact that you know they're still working on and trying to get TFS 2015 out, and the VSO team is still kicking it, doing some uh, pretty significant upgrades from uh, simple but really nice to have color card coding, <coughs> card coloring. It's easy for me to say. <laughs> Personal access tokens. Uh, so if you have an application that needs to talk to your repository. Uh, Adding work directly to a sprint. These are actually, uh, as much as I'm going to hate to say the J world word, but these are some of the things that are actually in Jira that are kind of nice. You know, you're right there on a board and you just want to, you know, add an item real quick. Wow, you do that. If you're in the middle of a sprint, you can just add an item really quick as they come up. So, um, it, it's, I just, not only are they building these features, but they're rolling them out for people to play with. Oh, yeah. And it's happening so fast. You know, I, it's hard for for even me to come to to keep up, and that's part of my job is is keeping uh -huh. up with the updates. You know, sometimes I joke that I don't know how how kind of regular customers. It, I don't know how they keep up. To be honest, <laughs> every three weeks it's like Christmas. You get all these new features lighting up, so it's it's pretty awesome. How many uh, VSO repos do you have? Oh, um. At least a dozen or so. Okay. Good. I'll, I, I'm glad I didn't put you on the spot and say, well, I really don't have any. No. Oh, good. That's – wow. 
A dozen, really? Yeah. Well, you know, I started playing, you know, again, because, you know, you touched on before, I used to work for Microsoft. So we were on the first, first wave of, you know, VSO back when they called it. Oh my gosh, I don't even remember what they called it anymore. TFS service or something. I don't know. It had many names over the years. Um, so my very first one was probably, God, at least four or five years ago, maybe when I started using the online service, you know, whatever it was called back then. So, you know, over the years, I just keep adding more because it's, you always find more uses for it. And, <laughs> and it's, you know, and it was free. So, you know, it's, yeah. that made it really easy. And it's still free. If you, if you're a, a basic user, you got five, um, five people, right? It, you can basically, if you're out there listening and you want to see what we're talking about, you can sign up today. Absolutely. And you know what, there's probably folks who have MSDN through work that, that don't even know they have it. I mean, with most of the clients that I work with, you know, I'll say, hey, you guys have Visual Studio, you have MSDN, right? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, well, you're using your free SO. And they're like, what are you talking about? <sighs> they they have no idea that they get free free VSO with MSDN. And that that's huge. I mean, if you ever wanted to kick the tires on it, talk about a low cost of entry. It's it's zero. And there's no setup. There's no installation. You click a few buttons and you're done. So it's, it's, a, it's really great. I wish more people would take advantage of it. <laughs> You know, that is a drum that Martin and I beat all the time about your free Azure minutes. If you've got an MSDN subscription, you know, it's just you're throwing free money away if you're not utilizing that. You get so much with MSDN, it's scary. Right. Um, another news topic, last one before we we get to the actual discussion. We don't, I don't like to call it an interview because it's not really like an <laughs> interview, but it's more of a just, you know, two geeks chatting about stuff we like. Um and it kind of ties into the whole VSO thing. Microsoft just released a new Android app that allows you to view, create, and edit work items of your projects in VSO online. I, um, yeah, you were saying you installed this? So, well, so let me let me back up a little bit. I was excited <laughs> to see the app and how awesome it was and then played a little sad trombone in my head when I saw it was Android. Because, of course, like any good Microsoft citizen, I have a Windows phone. <laughs> so, but I should say that there is a Windows phone app. There are actually two Windows phone apps um, from Microsoft Garage. One of them I had been using earlier, um, which is the Work Item Studio, but that's only for work items, right? And there's, right. and then just by kind of clicking around, I accidentally found one called DevSpace, which is another VSO app for Windows Phone. And it does kind of lightweight work item stuff. And it also does some stuff with builds. You can queue builds. But um, I got to say, even when you kind of combine those two Windows Phone apps, they don't look half as good as the Android one does. But I guess I'm kind of used to that being in the Windows <laughs> Phone world. So, it, you know, I, I should have, to, I should make sure and tell my husband about that because he's got an Android. Okay. Yeah, my same thing. I've got the Windows phone and my wife's got the Android. My son's got the Android. <sighs> <laughs> right. But I'm not jealous because I really like my Windows phone. And the whole news today was all kind of scary. Y you heard about that? Actually, I, I haven't. I've been doing uh, client stuff all morning. So I was kind of heads down. What did I miss? You've been working? I <laughs> Silly you. What are you thinking? Um, they actually did a, a big layoff. They are going to be doing a layoff. Uh, they're up to 7,800 people, mostly focused in the phone division. They're going to take a $6.8 billion write down over the Nokia services. Oh, wow. So, and, and uh, uh, Satya sent out to uh, Satya, like, yeah, like he and I, you know, <laughs> hang out and drink beer. You guys are tight. <laughs> uh, send out a memo to all the internals and to the public saying, you know, we're not dropping Windows Phone. We're refocusing it and, and, and 
targeting specific markets and, and specific areas in the phones. So I, I hope Windows Phone isn't dead. I like Windows Phone. Yeah, I know. I'm one of those weirdos that I really do like my Windows Phone, although I'm, I'm going to say this and definitely get made fun of for this, but I still have a Zoom and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you. I. You know, you used to be my favorite person, but you're like my favorite person plus plus now. Because <laughs> I've got we're a five Zoom family. Wow. I've got two, yeah. I've got two. My son's got two. My wife's got one. She never uses it. But my son and I both have an eighty and a thirty-two, uh, and, and I still sync mine. He's on a road trip right now, and he's actually listening to his right now. So. Uh, I miss the Zune, but now we have Groove, so Groove is better, right? You heard about that? I have not. I've actually still been plugging away with my Zune software and <laughs> and all that good stuff. I am I am living in 2007, apparently. <laughs> uh, uh, they've re they've rebranded the Zune, which was rebranded Xbox Music, has now been rebranded as Groove. Ah, okay. So, so maybe I need to update the, my software. <laughs> Yeah, really. No, I wouldn't quite. I would if you've got that Zune software installed. I I would stick with it. You know, that's there are so many things in that software that still works. Some things that just work. You know, it's just nice to have, especially when listening to music. The podcasting, I never, I always kind of hated the podcasting on the Zune, but um, you know, music is hard to beat. Anyway, Radio Zune, we're done with that for now. <laughs> Okay, so I think that's I think we're done with the news, the top news at least for this week. Um, so I know you're a listener uh, of Radio TFS Angela, and you know I'm going through uh, here at work in my day job. Uh, we are going into the agile conversion. We are um, basically we're, we were previously at level zero chaos, but now we're looking into discovery and we've heard about agile. We've seen agile use our management teams all like, Oh, agile is awesome. What is agile? You know, and they're trying to think what, what's, what's agile versus scrum and, and how are they different? Uh, how do you do this in bigger organizations? So, you know, can you like, I know it seems silly for our listeners and stuff, but, but in a, you know, 30 minutes or less. Uh, what is agile and what are agile processes? So I, this is one of those things where I feel like it, I'm almost glad this isn't an article because the comments would just light up <laughs> with people <laughs> with all kinds of feedback. I, I feel like this is one of those topics where when you go into it, you can go in a lot of directions. And and for me, you know, it, it, agility is a mindset, right? And and agile, if you're talking about kind of the, the technology term that everyone uses, they're generally talking about the high level methodology of responding quickly, you know, being flexible, getting products out the door more quickly, right? Um, and then you start talking about all the frameworks that kind of fall underneath agile. And I think that's one of the first things that that gets a little confusing is that agile is really kind of that high level methodology. It's the, the goal, right? And, and the frameworks that you can use to get there, there are quite a few of them, right? There's lean and Kanban and scrum. And then there's safe, which is one of the flavors of scaled agile these days. Um, there's so many frameworks out there. And I think one of the hardest things is, is a lot of companies go into it kind of thinking that like someone will bring me the agile, right? They will, they will bring me the agile and then I will be agile. And, and it's definitely a transformation that, that takes quite a long time. I mean, some organizations struggle for years 
to, to go through the complete transformation, right? To really get there. And really, you, you know, even that's kind of a misnomer because I, I say get there like there's some holy grail and once you're there, you can <laughs> you can stop and put your hands on your hips and look around and say, we're done, we're right? Done, We've right? reached agile. Woo! Right, that, that's just not ever going to happen, right? There's always room for improvement. And I feel like the, the most important part about it is always looking at things that you can improve because there is always something that you can improve. I guarantee it. Um, that, you know, and, and part of it too is it's not as simple as just saying, here's a framework, follow it. You know, I think the thing that, that I find organizations that I've worked with struggle with the most, it isn't the framework. It's not following the processes as they're written, right? You know, mm-hmm. TDD and BDD and <laughs> all these things are things you should be doing regardless of what your process is. Um, it, the frameworks just kind of say, hey, this is really going to support the types of things you want to do. That's not the issue. Most people, you can you can train them on how to do test-driven development. There's strategies. The hardest part is often kind of the 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 people, I, I don't want to call it an issue, but the, the, the people challenges, right? Because there's a lot of personalities, you know, that people communicate in very different ways. Um, you know, some people are very uncomfortable with the idea of stand-ups where everyone is having to kind of open up and talk about the things they're struggling with. And, and honestly, that's where I run into probably the biggest challenges is, is trying to help people kind of get over, over those humps, right? How to get past some of the bad habits and, you know, and, and also, how to make sure that the system that people are working under, right, the the things that are at work, whether it's HR policies or the way offices are set up, to make sure all those things are conducive to it as well. It's it's just not a simple thing, right? And and right. I think any anyone who tries to boil it down simpler than that, I don't know, maybe they're trying to sell you something because agile is hard, right? There there's a lot mm-hmm. to it. So I I, I have a. You know, as a, as a certified Scrum Master yourself, and, and I'm one too. It's been one for years, and I've run Scrum teams, kind of. Um, you know, and I see everybody's got these Scrum books, and they're all reading it, and they're all <laughs> looking at the Scrum and all this stuff. And, and I'm trying to p- kind of guide them away from that. You know, and they ask what Scrum is, and I say it's much more prescriptive than Agile is. You know, um, I have seen too many organizations who you know start with Scrum on day one. And then day two, it's scrum butt. And then day three, it's scrum butt butt. And then day four, it's just butt, you know? Um, so I'd just rather, I'm trying to, you know, not get them. Cause, you know, in my mind, if you call something scrum, there's some very specific things that make it the scrum process. And you're kind of fooling yourself. If you don't do those things and you're not doing scrum, you're doing agile and agile is great. There's a lot of things that people will take. When they're when they're doing the the, the scrum, but the the, the uh, practices that they'll learn, but don't fool yourself that you're doing scrum. Now, am I being kind of a a hard butt on that, or <laughs> should I lighten up? So I oh see, this is where I was talking about. I'm so glad there aren't comments. And this was an article. This is where the flame wars start, right? Um, I, I've always taken a a slightly more flexible approach on it. Whereas I I don't believe there is one different definition of what is right when it comes to Scrum. You know, like Scrum is a framework and the whole point of a framework is you take the things that you need and you throw the rest out or or at least you work your way up to it, right? Nobody's going to walk in and say, we're going to start doing every single thing that makes up the Scrum framework on day one. It's never going to work, right? There's too many things that have to change. There's too many practices there. You know, in some cases, you know, there's, there's tooling or plugins that you may need to buy to help support some of the things you want to do. Um, to, to me, if if you're kind of holding to the main tenets of Scrum, then then you are Scrum. But but how mature you are within that process, maybe that's kind of the sliding scale to me. Um, okay. 
And the other thing too is, is a lot of places I've gone, you know, some of the most successful teams, they don't just follow, you know, quote unquote scrum framework, right? They might also use, you know, some concepts from lean or some concepts from Kanban. Like they, they, they kind of adopt whatever it is that they need. And, and sometimes they end up with kind of a, a mishmash process that doesn't follow anyone specifically to a T. Um, but if it's working for them and they're successful, and at least in my opinion, I feel like that's, that's the best to go, even if it doesn't follow any cookie cutter definition of how that process should be. Uh, okay, that makes sense. So instead of degrade, kind of degrading it, like I was calling it Scrum, but you're calling it Scrum Plus and Scrum Plus Plus, making it a positive and not a negative because they're adapting it and they're iterating through it to make it fit them better. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I, that's one of those things where I've definitely run it. I've butted heads with other people who don't take that approach. <laughs> they feel like, you know what, you're doing scrum or you're not, there's, there's not any in between, but you know, that's a great way to have a, a client ask me to leave. Right. If I try to be that hard nosed and, and not be pragmatic about it. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to do what's, what's right for the customer, even if that means, you know, giving some wiggle room on it and working your way into to doing it right. It may take a little longer, but if if everyone's if everyone is happier, that's kind of the the end goal. Is you know you want you know happy, content developers that that are you know motivated and challenged and, and all those good things. You don't want people to be frustrated. Right, right. I'm trying to remember a story that that I think I heard when I was going through the uh, Scrum course. I think there was a difference between the. Uh, pit bull and the sheepdog, you know, the pit bull just grabs on and won't let go. And this is just the way it's going to be. And you hear there's no other way I'm going to, it's just, this is it. Whereas the sheepdog kind of herds people and, and tries to guide them into the right ways. So, um, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I guess, I guess I'm going to have to just not be such a butt. <laughs> I, I didn't say it. <laughs> That's okay. Like, uh, we, like we were saying earlier, my wife curses at me quite a bit, so we're good. <laughs> so you mentioned SAFE. That's capital S, capital A, capital F, lowercase e. What is SAFE? So so SAFE is one of the, and I'm going to say one of, because it used to be, at least as far as I knew, that was it when it came to scale, scaled Agile, but now there's many flavors of, of scaled Agile. SAFE is really just kind of one of them. So um, I first heard about SAFE, I think, God, it was like at the ALM Forum Conference out in Seattle, like four or five years ago, Dean Leffingwell was actually giving the talk. And, you know, he's kind of the the father of SAFE, right? The way, the way you know, Sutherland and Schwaber were kind of the, the fathers mm -hmm. of Scrum. Um, and, you know, I remember the first time I heard about it, I was like, wow, this makes a whole lot of sense. And, you know, essentially what, what he's talking about is how you know, when you have really, really large organizations, Scrum as the kind of only and core framework is is never going to work. Um, it, it'll work great for the lowest level teams, the people who are at the end of the day are kind of pumping out those lowest level product, you know, components. But at the end of the day, you still have people who have to do annual budgets. You still have to pe have people who have to do system coordination between all these different pieces that are uh, that are that are getting deployed. And you know, if you have a thousand developers, you know, that maybe a hundred a hundred teams, you know, how do you just only do Scrum there, right? And and so I, I I know there's a lot of a lot of fud out there about safe and you know safe is for people who can't who can't do Scrum. And you know, after <laughs> seriously, after spending a week with D. I actually went out to Colorado. I took the, the training because I'd heard all the FUD, right? And I'd been through Scrum right. training and I was I was a fan. And I'm like, you know what? I want to go to the training because I want to hear what he has to say. You know, and I and I want to be able to speak from experience and not just say I don't like it because I read blog posts from people that I, 
you know, know that don't like it. Um, and I really came out appreciating it. You know, there were a lot of large customers at that training with us. So it worked really well because they kind of paired up consultants with customers that we could help them solve their problems using mm-hmm. SAFE. Um, and it borrowed on, you know, Lean and Kanban and Scrum. So SAFE is really just borrowing from those three different frameworks so that certain levels of the organization use different concepts from those different agile methodologies to just do their job better. You know, I, that's kind of an oversimplification. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. You know, if you read the, if you read all the, the stuff online and you look at the big diagram, it's kind of scary and it looks overwhelming, but, but when you just boil it down to nuts and bolts, um, that's really all it is, is it's, it's finding a way to coordinate between scrum teams, how to make scrum of scrums effective when you have, you know, dozens or hundreds of teams as opposed to just three or four, um, and it, it was, it was definitely, uh, it was really eye opening. And, you know, I, I got to admit, I, I haven't had the opportunity to work with a customer that has a thousand developers. <laughs> so I, I could definitely see how you would need, you know, something above and beyond Scrum if you're at that higher level trying to coordinate across all those teams. Now I'm going to put you on the spot here because I didn't, we didn't put these in the notes. So, you know, you can throw stuff at me. Okay. Um, Microsoft has a lot of developers, especially on like the Visual Studio teams and, you know, working on VSO and TFS and that kind of stuff. What do th- I know? They're agile, obviously. Well, at least in the release sense, they're agile and the communication, they're agile and the .NET group and the .NET framework, different organization or different part of the organization, but they're doing, you know, the sprints and everything else. So how does Microsoft, how are they so agile with so many developers and so many releases and so many products? Do you know? You know, I feel like I'm going to get dirty looks the next MVP summit because I know they released a bunch of <laughs> they released like a great video and white paper on how they do agile and it's it's been on my list forever and I have not oh. read it I know I'm so bad <laughs> oh no, no no actually I, I'm gonna get the bad looks because as I talk about this and you say that it's like oh yeah you know I think I've mentioned that in previous shows so I've already asked and answered oh oh well well I'll hunt down the show notes and, and make sure everybody uh, gets a chance to look at that but uh yeah, well, that's what I get for going off script. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I would be surprised if they didn't do something to that effect because, you know, at the end of the day, they have to coordinate across a lot of different teams as well. So it, it would be interesting. Now I'm going to have to put that on my to-do list. I'll just put that a little higher on my backlog of things that I have to do is get that get that paper read so I, I understand exactly how they how they do that. Okay, at this point, we're about halfway to the show. I'm going to do our uh, sponsor shout-out, which is very sophisticated. Um, episode 92 of Radio TFS is brought to you by SAS Made Easy, a leader in hosted TFS, dedicated virtual servers, and TFS ALM consulting, which I guess we shouldn't actually – it's kind of – we're not talking about a competitor of yours, are we? Or we are, aren't we, Angela? Um well, not really, because from that perspective, they're, uh, if I remember correctly, SAS Made Easy is a hoster, right? So they actually provide right. hosting services. Yeah, we don't do anything like that. Okay. Okay. Um, well, and they are our sponsor, so I guess I have to say hey, good things. Hey, exactly. About- I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, anybody who sponsors Radio TFS is great, right? Of course, we only right. have the one sponsor, but <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> Um, you can reach them at www.sasmadeeasy.com or via email at sales at S-A-A-S-M-A-D-E-E-A-S-Y.com. And now let's go back to the show. So the next thing that I, I wanted to talk to you about, and we mentioned earlier, the TFS 2015 upgrades. Uh, Brian does a good job in the post that we mentioned, and again, we'll have it in the show notes, um, just the complex nature 
of this upgrade, the impact of this upgrade, that this is one of the bigger updates they've done in a long time. Um, first of all, have you done any TFS 2015? You said you did some, right? Yeah, I've done a couple of, of upgrades. Um, they were both on uh, servers that I personally own. Um, okay. I, you know, I'll be honest, I don't, I didn't have any customers who were quite ready to, to kind of <laughs> bite the bullet and upgrade. Um, not from like previous bad experiences or anything, but to be honest, you know, a lot of my customers are just now getting around to doing update four for, thir- for 2013. <laughs> so they're, you know, they're always about a month behind. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm hoping to, to kind of push some people over the edge in the next month or two. And how did it go? Did you use like the, the, the killer VM or just? No, uh... it was literally my own hosted instance of TFS. I, uh, so I have one on my laptop because I have a pretty beefy uh-huh. laptop. <laughs> so I run a TFS instance from there and then I have one uh, at the house as well. And, and actually both of those upgrades went really smoothly. They went pretty quick. Um, I think the very first upgrade I did was, you know, kind of very, very early uh, release candidate bits from back in May, I think. Um, and I only had one tiny little glitch, um, which I, if I remember correctly, it was that, you know, when I initially did the install, my uh, my backup jobs didn't get restored, but then I rebooted the machine and everything was fine. So that was the only glitch that I had. And, and I, you know, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, I immediately emailed the product team. They asked me to send them logs and screenshots and they worked with me and, and it kind of worked itself out. But um, but they were really great about making sure they understood what happened. And, and this was just my own personal TFS instance, but they, they were super responsive even to that. So you and David don't use TFS at home for Kanban boards and everything, do you? <laughs> so the the joke, and it, I, I actually used to. So <laughs> when I started using VSO way back when I was at Microsoft, I actually created a personal VSO project for, you know, we live in an old house. And so mm. I was literally managing things like re-roofing our garage, <laughs> doing the landscaping. We had product backlog items. We had tasks. I mean, it was it was hilarious. People would laugh when I told them that. And then I would pull it up and they would be like, oh my gosh, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm using TFS to run my household. Um, yeah, that, 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 to, it got to a point where that was a little bit overkill. So I did back off from that. But <laughs> for a while there, I actually did use it for personal projects, which is pretty funny. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And now with VSO, everybody could do that. Right? right there you go. Absolutely. Um, so what is what is the awesome that's in 2015, TFS 2015? Oh, God, I have to pick something? <laughs> or, oh, okay, what is the set of awesome? I mean, I'll, I'll talk why... about some of the things that, that for me have, have been kind of the most okay. exciting things. Um, so I use the Agile planning tools, and, and I don't remember what they're calling them these days from a marketing perspective. But if you <laughs> think about the Kanban boards and the Sprint Baglog tools, all those things on the web. Um, there have, have just been such an immense set of new features. And a lot of those, like we've been saying, I mean, if you're on VSO, you don't even have to wait for, for TFS 2015 for them. I, I sometimes feel weird giving demos on what's new because I feel like, well, I've had this stuff for six months. It's not really <laughs> new, but it's new if you're on 2013. Um, but, you know, just the customization of, of the cards, little things, right? Little things like being able to display tags on the cards, being able to show the work item IDs in the, you know, in the corner, like little things like that for me have been so huge. Because what I always say is it may only be one click, but I might go through 100, 200 work items a day that I'm changing, I'm updating, I'm reprioritizing. That's 200 clicks you saved me. And now do the multiplication, right? That's a lot of time that, that you've just saved. 
Um, and, and also visually, like as much as I love the backlog tools, I tend to live on the boards. I like the boards. Um, so being able to customize them, add swim lanes, putting the definition of done um, within each of your swim lanes, those are those have been huge for me. Um, and there, there may be people out there who are still on, on, you know, in TFS 2013, they're like, oh my goodness, yeah, get VSO, open the free account, play around with it. It's amazing. Um, I also spend a lot of time doing testing. So mm-hmm. uh, so the, the stuff that they've rolled out to the web tools for testing is great. So it's, it's at least today, right, if you think about what's available right now, um, it's not going to have everything in it that Microsoft Test Manager has, which is the client tool for, for anyone who might not be using that yet. Um, but, but it's getting really darn close. The fact that I can I can create test plans and suites and test cases right on the web. I can run them. I can create bugs. That's pretty huge because sometimes you don't want to have to install a bunch of client tools on a machine just to run some tests. You know, sometimes you want to be able to switch machines really easily. So that to me, the the stuff that they're doing around the the, the test side has has been really great for me. Um, and, and probably the the biggest thing I think that's really going to kind of blow people's minds um, has been around build. Right. So mm-hmm. I was lucky enough that that I, you know, I somehow sweet talked my way into the Ignite conference uh, working at the VSO booth. So I got to work with the mm-hmm. product team at Ignite here in Chicago. Uh, and it was great because, you know, a lot of the sessions were overbooked. You couldn't get in. But I was at the booth all day with the product team. So I could just, you know, grab Chris Patterson and be like, hey, come over here and let's talk about Build Me Next. And, you know, they have they have kind of, you know, to say rebooted that the build system would would be kind of a gentle way of saying it. Right. They 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 nuclear bombed it. It's it's a totally new system. Um, And and it's not that I didn't like the old system. I understand why a lot of people got frustrated with it because, you know, it was a lot of work. Right. XAML is complex going through all those workflows. If all you need is a simple build. I mean, it was a lot of work, right? And you had to essentially learn Windows workflow to understand how the build yep. system worked. Um, whereas the new system, you know, just dragging and dropping activities, being able to just, with a couple of clicks, you know, add a component to run a bunch of load tests in VSO. I mean, it's it's just insane how much, you know, how much easier and how, how much more, you know, simple and streamlined it is to get really complex builds up and running. That's funny because that's you know, the, the two things that you mentioned there, the testing, Martin, you know, also... Wax is poetic about how much he uses that, you know, the web-based test interface. And, you know, we've been talking about build V next a lot. So it's great to hear, hear that from you as well. Um, Yeah. But the build, it makes me sad that the workflow stuff never worked out. I, since I first saw windows workflow, when they first introduced that back in the Vista timeframe at that, what PDC or something, I thought that was like, awesome. I, I was like, Oh, every, work process can be defined as this kind of, you know, flow and become self-documenting and, you know, it's, it's, but it never materialized. And I really hoped that the build, you know, in 2013, the build process there would, would get the developers used to workflow and then try to push it out. But like you said, no, not so much. I think it's like the Zune. There's a few of us that really loved it. <laughs> and everybody else moved on and, and you know, tried something else. But it, but I know a lot of customers that, you know, they went all crazy for Team City and they've been using Team City. And, and from what I understand, if, you know, given the, the way the new Build VNext works, they mm-hmm. would be really comfortable if they were to move over to Build VNext because it's a kind of a similar concept as to how it works, how you create builds. And so... 
you know, who knows? Maybe that'll uh, drive some more people to, to, to give TFS a try for build if they haven't given it a shot yet. Right, right. And it's, again, it's another testament to Microsoft willing to actually be iterative and to think and not, you know, they, they tried it. They, you know, tried it with 2012, improved it in 2013, and they said, you know what? It's just not working. Yeah. They, they iterated and they retrospected it and said, you know what? We're going to shit can this and try it again. So, and like, you know, like we always say, you know, it's, it's this is V3, right? Right. Yep. You know? So, um, so people, uh, first of all, real quick, we're, we're actually running a little bit at a time. We've got five, six minutes. We try to keep it about 45 minutes or so. Sure. And there's a couple of things I want to make sure that we definitely hit on. Um, but real quickly, should people wait as a, as a, I'm the, uh, TFS admin because I was the closest to the box and I was the one that upgraded and, you know, I, I am an ALM MVP, but even before that, I was the TFS admin. Shh. Should I wait? Who should upgrade? Who should try 2015? Or should we just, if we really are interested in playing with it, should we just go to VSO and play there? So there's a few answers to that because you asked me a few <laughs> different questions buried in there. Um, so from a TFS admin perspective, right? And, and this is coming from, a, you know, I feel like sometimes all I do is TFS upgrades, right? I've, been, I've spent the last year upgrading people to 2013. I expect to spend the next year upgrading people to 2015. So I do a lot of upgrades. <laughs> um, so my first piece of advice is I, I tell people don't wait to at least start the process of, of getting the upgrade validated. And what I mean by that is don't do your first upgrade in live production, right? That that should never be what you're doing. It's, but, you know, for, for on-premises, of course, I'm talking, um, you're going to always want to have a second environment. Every customer I go to, I say, you know what, if you can afford it, whether it's virtual, physical, whatever, let's set up a second set of hardware where clone your physical TFS implementation onto it, upgrade that to the next version to make sure everything goes smoothly, right? That usually is, you know, depending on how much bureaucracy is involved in getting <laughs> servers and access rights. And I'll try not to get too ranty on how hard it is to get the rights you need to do an upgrade because yeah. anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I struggle with that a lot. Um, but that's always the first step right? Don't do it in production. You know, it may take you a week to kind of work out the kinks, script everything you need to script. And then once you're ready to go, you, you've already worked out any, any weird issues you might have. If you've been customizing your templates, that's where you're going to run into issues during an upgrade. And so you, you don't want that to happen during a live production upgrade. You always want to practice first in a test environment. So I say don't wait because by the time you're done with your test upgrade, it'll probably RTM. <laughs> right? That's that's kind of my first piece of advice. Um, right. My second piece of advice is that it doesn't cost anything except a little bit of time to, to kick up an instance in VSO. So if, if your company is, you know, thinking about going to TFS, or you're thinking about upgrading, but you're like, well, I don't know if the new features really make it worth it. I mean, VSO will tell you, right, if, if those features are going to be worth it. And you may decide to migrate to VSO instead. Who knows? Um, the, the third thing I do want to mention, because since you mentioned the upgrading thing, is there are pr probably some people out there on 2008. I hope not many. Oh, God. <laughs> God forbid they're on 2005. I would say, I don't know if we even want to upgrade for you. Um, right. But if you're on any version that's 2010 or older, I think literally this week or very, very early next week, I, if I remember correctly, I think the date was somewhere around July 14th. It actually mm -hmm. goes out of, um, uh, what do you call it, so, uh, first line of support. Right. So it is no longer going to be supported anymore. You're going to have to pay for the extended support. So if, if there was ever a time to upgrade, if you're on 2005, 2008, or 2010, you're going to want to get yourself up to at least 2013. But of course, I would recommend just going straight to 2015. And do you have any help? Can you, do you have any advice or, or a post you can send people to? 
Um, I do actually. I, I put a quick uh, blog post on TFS Whisper about TFS 2010 going out of support. I had some kind of some links and some information on that um, for some customers. And I'm going to put this out there because this is another one of those benefits that Microsoft customers have that they often don't use, like MSDN. Um, there's <laughs> actually a, a software assurance benefit that a lot of customers out there have called um, deployment planning services, and they earn this just by buying Microsoft products. But most com- customers don't even know they have it, and it's Essentially, it gives you free consulting credit to have someone come to your organization and do kind of health checks, assessments, and one of them is a TFS upgrade assessment. So it can, you know, bring a company like ours in to spend, you know, up to five days on site saying, you know, here's how you're set up. Here's some things that are potentially going to be issues if you try to upgrade. You know, here's a roadmap for getting upgraded. So that's a really good way, you know, for free to have someone come in and kind of get you kicked off on that. Nice, nice. And I'll make sure I put the link in the show notes. I, I think we actually talked about it, was it last show, show before last? But uh, no, I thank you for that because actually I don't think we talked about that part of it. So, um, okay. You're a, how long have you been a VSALM MVP? Um, this is the almost the end of of my second year, October 1st is a renewal. So if I get renewed, it will be my third year as an ALM MVP. <laughs> and I'm really hoping that I've earned it. You're an October MVP too, yep. huh? Okay. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like, this is my first year. I, you know, I'm just like by chewing my fingernails. That's why we're kind of been so active with the radio TFS is, you know, I need to get some numbers. <laughs> um, a lot of our listeners aren't MVPs. What, how did, how do you feel that you became an MVP? What advice do you have if they, why should they become an MVP and, and how can they go about it? Sure. Um, so I, I became an MVP, honestly, just by being a really passionate, active member of the community. Um, there are people who will run up to me and be like, oh, of course you're an MVP. You used to work for Microsoft. And I, what I say to them is, I think it might have been harder for me to get into the program than someone who didn't work at Microsoft. Um, maybe specifically because they don't want people to think that you get any kind of favoritism because I had to work my butt off to earn that. Um, so just to give you an example of the kind of things that I do. So, you know, I, I run a user group. I'm really active active on the MSDN forums, answering questions, um, things like, you know, I, I volunteered to go work at the Ignite conference for a week and sat in the booth and talked to customers and an- answered questions. Um, so really what they're looking for is are people who are passionate about whatever MVP group you want to get into, right? Because there's mobile, there's F-sharp MVPs, there's office MVPs, you name it, right? There's probably an MVP group for it. Um, but the whole idea is that you're giving back to the community. And so they're kind of rewarding you for that. Um, and the flip side is, you know, what does Microsoft get out of it? You know, they get a lot of feedback from us, from customers, right? They might get feedback from us that they would have no other way of collecting. Um, you know, like you mentioned, one of the other things we do is we upgrade to products early. We give the product team feedback on issues that we encounter. Um, so it's it's really nice because it's kind of a give and take. Um, and also as MVPs, we get some fantastic resources. Like you mentioned, we're on the ALM Champs alias. So I can shoot out, you know, an ALM question into the ether and it gets answered by people like Brian Harry, like, you know, sometimes in, in record time, which is really scary. Um, but, you know, plus things like, you know, I get a free MSDN membership. Uh, so that subscription that normally you have to pay a lot of money for, I get that for free as long as I'm an MVP. Um, free plural site discounts on things like Telerik controls. At least I, I'm trying to remember what was in that big long list of things that you get oh, yeah. discounts on as an MVP. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's, it's great. I, 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 I always encourage people to do it. Um, I actually, someone reached out to me. I, I can't remember if it was through my blog or Twitter, Tim Farrow, if you're listening, congrats on your MVP. Um, he reached out to me and said, Hey, I don't, you know, you don't know me, but you're an MVP <laughs> and I'd really love to find out how to do it. And so I coached him through it for about six months and now he's an ALM wow. MVP. Um, and I have a coworker right now that I'm working with on, uh, looking at maybe a, a mobility or a, or a C sharp MVP. So it's, it's definitely worth going for. It doesn't cost anything to, to not, you know, get nominated, reach out to an MVP, reach out to me, right. If, if you want some help or need some advice. And you don't have to, I think this is the, the, one of the myths. So you don't have to be a Microsoft cheerleader. Oh, absolutely right? not. Yeah. The, the whole point is they just want people who are very, very community involved um, and people who can offer unique perspectives, you know, I, and I have no doubt that they actually appreciate people who once in a while can kind of poke at them from the opposite side and say, well, did you think about this, right? Here's some things right. that maybe we're not happy about that we like about our competitors. And, you know, all that feedback is valuable. You know, if, if all you are is a, uh, what do they call it, an echo chamber for right. for good stuff, that's not really useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, I think that was one of the surprising I had heard about it. But until I saw it, I didn't really believe it. At that last MVP summit, there was some sessions that they were just pitchforks and torches coming out. I mean, they, they asked for feedback and, and they got it. Right. You know? And some <laughs> of the speakers, some of the new speakers who had never presented to MVPs before, uh, very dear in the headlights because the MVPs, <laughs> if there was an opinion, they had it. They, they were polite. You know, they were courteous about right. it, mostly. Um, won't, won't say anything about Brian or, or, you know, you know, Brian Randall or anything, you know, but, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, the, the, the important thing is it was, you know, honest and it was from the real world. So that was great to see. Last thing I wanted to talk to you about, you called it the imposter syndrome. What do you mean by that? So it, imposter syndrome, it, it's one of those things where, you know, I feel like I'm putting a very um, scientific term on it, right? Imposter <laughs> syndrome. Um, it's something that I think to some extent most everyone that I know feels at some point in their life, right? Um, and the idea of imposter syndrome is essentially feeling like either you don't deserve what you have or that somehow you got to where you are by accident. So as, as an example, imposter syndrome, right? When, when I went to interview at Microsoft, I was thinking, there's no way they're going to hire someone like me. Why would they hire me, right? What do I know? And, and I know a lot of people who worked at Microsoft that felt that way. And, and I remember I didn't really, you know, I didn't really vocalize it or talk about it until, till, you know, I told you I'm a Twitter addict and one of the people <laughs> I follow is Scott Hanselman. And he's a great guy, right? I, I, right. I met him a couple of years ago at the ALM MVP summit. And I was like, oh my God, he's just such a genuinely nice guy. And I remember him tweeting something. I, I, you know, I forget exactly what his blog post was called, but it was something like, are you a phony? I am too, something to those effects. <laughs> and I just remember, I felt like, you know, the whole, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoon, my jaw dropping and hitting the table. Like, are you kidding me? Someone like him, someone like him feels that way sometimes too. Um, and it, it kind of changed the way I looked at things because I realized it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that I am a phony. It's that everybody feels this way sometimes, right? It's, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. And, you know, when you're in a field that's constantly changing, constantly evolving, that you're constantly struggling to keep up, 
it's easy to start feeling like an imposter, right? People are asking you to explain things that literally got released the day before and you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, some of it is going to be self-imposed, right? I, I know in my case, it is absolutely self-imposed. I place far higher expectations on myself than I think anybody else does. Um, but to some extent, that that pushes me to always do better and learn. Um, and I actually gave a talk at um, a local conference here in Chicago, Chicago Code Camp on imposter syndrome, and it was really well received. Of course, I was absolutely terrified of giving it because <laughs> I have imposter syndrome. Um, and I just remember walking in there going, I don't have all the answers. So I hope you didn't come here trying to learn how to not feel like an imposter because I still feel like an imposter. And the number of people that came up to me afterwards and said, I can't believe you feel this way. You just stood in front of a huge group of people and told them that you feel like an imposter. I'm like, yeah, it's you'd be surprised. And you know, it's definitely one of those things where people tend to look at it as a negative. It doesn't have to be. Uh, in my case, I feel like it pushes me to always work a little bit harder. Not crazy, right? I'm not trying to, you know, work myself into the ground or anything, but it pushes me to be overprepared. Maybe sometimes in a bad way, my husband would definitely say I, I overprepare probably a little to the extreme. Um, but you know what? It, it's just one of those things where it. I end up walking into meetings or walking to an engagement feeling really well, you know, really well equipped because I've spent all this time going, oh my gosh, I, I need to make sure I know everything about everything. And I never really get there. Um, but it but allows you to discover new things, right? I can't tell you how many times I've been researching something and then run across five or six other really amazing things. So it just kind of pushes you to learn and pushes you to explore. So it's it's definitely something that that uh, that I know a lot of people struggle with. I'm actually giving the talk again um, next month at that conference in Wisconsin, and so it's funny how it's only been two months since I gave it, and I already have a lot of new material to add to it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're more of a post an imposter than you were before. Well, just <laughs> more experiences, right? Like I'm probably going to bring up the fact that I got asked to speak on Radio TFS and was like, oh my God, <laughs> I, I, I they want to, to talk to me, right? <laughs> right. I have to tell the listeners, yeah, Angela was very nervous. She was very nervous. And I'm like, no, don't be. I, I've seen you speak. Yeah, I, I don't see any of that imposter syndrome, or at least you fake it well. Right. And that's we are all doing anybody in this field, anybody who's listening to this podcast, I know every single one of you. I know you're nodding your head right now. You, you feel it too. We are all on that treadmill, just trying to keep up. We're just basically faking it till we make it. And, but we never make it because the field is changing out from underneath us. It, it's all right to not know everything because, or feel like you not know everything because uh, truthfully you don't and we never will and we never should. It, it, and that's what makes our field so fun and exciting. Right. That's the great thing about it. If we knew everything, God, how bored would we be in like <laughs> three months, you know? But in three months from now, how much is going to change? Right. So, uh, wow, I got all wound up on that one, didn't I? <laughs> it, it, definitely, <laughs> it's an engaging topic. It's one of those that once you kind of open that can of worms, everyone wants to talk about it. So, you know, <laughs> hopefully we've spawned some really good conversations for the people that are listening. Absolutely. Well, Angela, I think that's a show. Sounds good. I, yeah, I really want to thank you for coming on. Um, we're going to have to have you back. There's no <laughs> question about it. Uh, and uh, you guys out there listening, if you have any feedback for us, please email us at radiotfs at outlook.com or uh, send us a voicemail at area code 1-425-233-8379. And thank you very much for listening. 